I'm Lou. And I'm Al. And together, together we're, we're Lou Games. Al Games. <laughs> we're currently developing I Doesn't Exist. And you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. <clears throat> yep, yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, Hello. let everybody know that they are being recorded. Hello. Yep. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello so, my dear. welcome to the Scene World podcast. Today. Which, which issue is it? Ten, oh. ten mil, millions uh, uh, something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we have so many of so many of those, but yeah. not many of them are with an intro with Martin Wisniewski. That's I'm right. Martin. You, know. hey, Hi, yeah. you can call me also Notepond in the scene. Notepond, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So in a minute, we will be, well, I and AJ will be talking to Hermann Cruz from Rebel Rabbit, um, a Peruvian indie developed studio mm, for nice. gaming, and talking about their history and their upcoming games. And so on. So, a lot of Latin American coverage lately. Mm -hmm. But before though, we have some news. Yes. And I don't know, do, would you like to start with some news that you collected? Yeah, maybe uh, I can start. I have a, a little bit of uh, a tool roundup when it comes to the latest development in pixel editors. Nice. Uh, so maybe the first news are uh, that ASE Pride, ASE Sprite, nobody knows how to pronounce this pixel editor. Uh, it's a, one of the most famous pixel editors right now. I, uh, I would, from my gut feeling, I would say just like almost every indie developer uses this tool. And they made an, a major update. Uh, they released the version 1.3. And uh, the, the interesting thing about this is that uh, they have a tile map editor right now built into this tool. And I think they worked over two years on it. I was just like waiting and waiting and waiting for it because I used Pixel Edit before and this is not really maintained anymore for years. Um, and now <clears throat> this tile editor uh, part was released and uh, it's really amazing how straightforward they implemented this because they have different uh, modes, how to edit the tiles. And this is so super straightforward. I can really recommend everyone to, to check out this, this new version from, from ASC Pride. It's very, very good. Will that also be mentioned in your newsletter? Uh, I already mentioned that. Ah, <laughs> ah. ah, you mean the Storm Electricity newsletter where I post every two weeks about some news from the 2D shooter scene. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes, we mentioned that already in a past yeah. episode. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Thank, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, I noticed you were actually surprised that we did because I found I found your account on Blue Sky when when I made the scene world yeah. account and was like, oh, we have a new follower. Oh, I know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, let's hope that Blue Sky will get a little bit more popularity. I don't know. It's interesting. One third of the people that we follow on Twitter or X are already on Blue Sky. But now many people are also following up on threats now that it's also available in the yeah. European Union. So it's a it's a hard race between the two. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still really not a fan of threats, but we all know if Facebook is doing this, there's quite a chance that it will get popular. Hmm, let's wait and see. Right. I'm, I'm a fan of Mastodon and Blue Sky still. <laughs> I, be, I mean, we have all, we have all. Yeah, Actually, that's also yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I set I set up cross posting. So when Dennis is doing his Instagram post, it's automatically posted to the others as well. Okay. Oh, makes yeah. it makes it easier. Right. Automation. Yeah. All right. Maybe I continue with the tool roundup because uh, sure. I found another interesting new Pixel Dito. It's called Pixel Orama. Ooh. And um, I think it's uh, it's made in the Godot game engine, so it's a tool actually built in a game engine. And uh, I think it was released, I don't know, uh, in the mid next year, and then they did some incremental updates and things like this. And you can download this on itch. I think it's some bucks, I don't know, five dollars or something. <clears throat> and the good thing is that it runs on every operating system, so you can this also use on your old Linux machine, for example. Nice. Okay. Uh, which which I'm doing on my second computer, let's name it like this. And this feature is also very good designed. So it really has a good balance of features. And uh, if people searching for more pixel editors to work with and pixel Rayma uh, is, is really the, the, the new kit on the block. And I'm very curious how uh, this will was, this tool will develop here. So uh, that's the next rec recommendation. And then, interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you want to comment, interesting that you, when you when you mention Godot, is it is it spelled like G O D O T? Ah, this is yeah? a very because good. you know yeah. from the retro standpoint, Godot. It's actually the very yes. much known um, graphic yeah. converter for the C sixty four that is super famous and around since over. Almost 30 years. Yes, <laughs> I, I I totally know. Wait a second, I have a Godot sticker here somewhere. I I know that uh, I was thinking about this also uh, a long time because I think it was just like Godot, but for me a little bit hard to pronounce Godot. But then I actually read the basic inspiration is really from this theater piece, waiting for Godot. Uh, okay, but it's it, I it's think really the official name of it. But I think this. The spelling is it identical, isn't it? Uh, the spelling is identical. Yeah, it's G-O-D-O-T. Yeah. But uh, the original inspiration was really from everyone is waiting for Godot, and now here it is. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, I remember when I first in the 90s when I first heard about Godot, I was like, oh my god, you can display JPEG files on a Commodore 64. How crazy is that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, ah, well, you mentioned C64. It's a perfect transition to my third recommendation because um, there, <clears throat> there's a, <clears throat> a Facebook page and a Discord channel. It's called uh, Petsky World. Mm. I think uh, this is maintained by a senior called Shine. And uh, there he collects. Oh, good many, old Andy. Many, many, yes, exactly. Many, many Petsky releases. And this is a one stop shop if you're interested in Petsky. I especially recommend the Discord channel, and there, uh, <clears throat> there's some new post there. Um, it's a new channel. It's called Petsky Editors, and there um, is the start of a collection of tools which are capable of doing Petsky graphics. 
So on this list are meanwhile, I don't know, 13 tools or something. So if you would be also interested in retro editors to uh, edit sort of C64 stuff, then you go to the Discord in Petsky World and check out the Petsky editors. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So if I may, I will make the transition from graphic tools to graphic point click adventures. Yeah, wow. And, and there's actually there are actually oh. two coming up. One is coming up on the January the 13th, and it's called Twilight Oracle, and it's actually um, from Cosmic Void, and it has a very interesting graphic style, and it will be that game where I pop my sherry and do my first gaming review for the Scene World. YouTube channel because I got a review key for uh, from them. So thanks for that. <laughs> and also now that we are in contact with them, we also got um, we also got added to their press release mailing list. And now they announced yesterday that they have another game coming up in summer. And since yesterday you can play a demo on Steam for a horror point and click adventure called Devil's Hideout. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, so this indie dev studio um, is doing a lot of games at the moment. And do you know how this is getting released? This is available on itch.io also, or do you know that? Oh, uh, I guess it could be. I saw that Twilight Oracle was also a Kickstarter. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I mean most games are on on all kinds of um, platforms nowadays. Yes, I found this very interesting because uh, on itch.io you find many stuff that is not available on Steam, for example, just like games for Playdate, games for hmm. C64, and so on and so on and so on. So I think it's quite an interesting niche. Uh, yeah, where you can also browse stuff, you know. But the problem it, is. At Twilight Oracle, I just see the page also on Steam. Is this is this, this game? Yes, yeah, it has a very interesting graphic <laughs> style. I was like, oh my god, that's new. Um, wow, this looks gorgeous. Wow. I know, I know, it's super, it's super, yeah. Weird colors. Wow, I, I know. Like I know. That was my first thought, also. Yeah. Wow. I'm not a big fan of point and click adventures, but if I see this graphics, maybe I would play it. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics alone. Nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for the tip. You're uh, welcome. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This, um, I put it oh, on my wish list. Wait a second. It's like the uh, intro video starting. Maybe I just put it on my wish list. Oh, why not? Why not? Should have should I have requested a review key for you instead from myself? Huh? I'm not sure if I find the time to really review this game uh, okay. in the next weeks. I see. Okay, okay. So I'm not the bad person here. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um speaking of games, there's also um well I would say I don't know how to say it, a remake or no better to say um, an update 
or a community update for the old retro game Daggerfall. It's called Daggerfall Unity 1.0, and it is available after several years of development. Mm-hmm. And actually, since the original game Daggerfall is for free on Steam, you can actually go to their homepage, and there is a manual how to, well, apply the update, the Daggerfall Unity, to your free installation of the original steam version so that's quite nice mm-hmm. and i thought i would mention it because i mean i'm not an rpg fan it's not my type of game but i know many people like such old games and um, it's always nice if a publisher is publishing a game for free on steam and actually a community project is compatible with the Steam version because um, in the since Christmas I actually spend a lot um, of time with you know how to get retro games working in Windows 11 again because I had the time and I was like I want to figure this out and often it's like okay it's only working with the CD release or with the GOG version mm-hmm. or uh, and often the Steam version is left out. So it's nice to see that a project's actually also supporting the Steam version and not only a specific version of the original game. Because sometimes it's like, oh my God, so now now I have to source the CD, you know, which is really, really bad. Because, um, for example, I wanted to to play Most Wanted again. And the problem with Need for Speed games is a particular most wanted is that this 2005 game was re-released in 2012 and since then EA delisted it on all stores so people would buy the re-release from 2012 and not the original relief from 2005 and the problem is since it has a secure ROM copy protection that doesn't work in Windows 8 and up because uh-huh. it's not compatible. You have to get the source um, DVD and then apply some patches and stuff. So it will be super complicated. And uh-huh. the problem really was to get the the English original DVD because some people on, on eBay or Amazon, they want... They want so much money that I'm like, I'm not going to buy that. So it took, it took me a while, uh-huh. you know. And sometimes, and sometimes you have such weird, weird offers like, uh, like original version, but CD one is missing. Oh yeah, like, I get it. okay. If- so this this makes totally sense to make this kind of release. I see it because I also read about that the modding uh, is also possible. So there, there might be also some mod, modding community action going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And if it comes to re-releasing, uh, I was lately playing. Um, ah, what was the name again? It was also a classic uh, platformer. Um, ah, missing the name. 
It was not Alex Kidd, but it was a similar style of game. But there, uh, there was also a reissue of it with modern graphics and modern music. But in the menu, also during the game, you could just like toggle the original music or the original yeah. graphics. So also the levels were one by one made. Yeah. And I think this is a really nice way to make a re-release re of, a, of a classic game, you know. That would be good. That would that be good. We can mix it, mix it, uh, modern graphics with the old sound effects and stuff like that. That so would be good. Yeah, yeah. Sega is doing it this way and 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 um, and Disney did it the same way with the old Monkey Island titles. But ah. EA is always doing it their way and that is like, hire a new game. Look yeah. at the old release and make a re-release and change it slightly, but you can't switch between the two. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, unfortunately, Sega is doing did the same with the Sonic re-releases when they released some Sonic Superstars, which is a collection of all these old Sonic titles. They delisted on Steam all the original Sonic titles. It was Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy was the Wonder game. Boy. Yeah. Wonder Boy. Huh? Yeah, that's very that's a very nice uh, re remake of a game. I really like this. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so this 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 re-release thing in old retro games, it's actually the same problem you have with movies. Like there there are five versions of the Dune movie. Yeah, or, and, or or Blade Runner. Right? Yeah, yeah, but but Blade Runner is different because the new Blade Runner got a new name, but the Dune movies yeah. are just called Dune. Oh, very that's often. Cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you you're true, but there are also four versions of the original Blade Runner. Oh right, okay. And right. I think the first version I was just lately uh, seeing this. The first version <clears throat> was really available for some months. <clears throat> or even weeks because they just like put up a very cheesy end scene and then everyone would say oh no this movie is horrible now ah, <laughs> okay okay i see i didn't know I that see. before the original blade runner version was available for only some some weeks <laughs> i see yeah but, but dune you're right they, they are i don't know you you put put up dune and you never know what movie you will get <laughs> right i mean i mean it's the same with um with robocop There is the original Robocop um, from the 80s, and then there is Robocop from 2010. Yeah. You know, and both are just called Robocop. So, uh, yeah, so it's anyway. So the game, game industry is repeating the same mistake the movie industry did. You know, why learning from mistakes? Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't even understand why uh, why do you force people to not be allowed to legally buy the original version anymore? Why not offering both at the same time? You know? Uh, yes. It's it's uh, never never something I understood. But anyway, that's it. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. And and another news is. Eliza was released for the C64S. Eliza is uh, one of the first AI AI uh, chatbots. Oh, okay. From the from I think it they she is from the 80s originally. So Eliza is something that's very very famous. 
and That's it's got the, a 64 s release. Is this the thing with the Turing test that made the Turing test popular? I think, I think, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> How does it work? Do you know it? No, no, I don't. No, I don't. Uh -huh. Okay, maybe it would be worth checking out. Yeah, um, but... <laughs> I didn't go too much in detail, or else we would do an intro for two hours. <laughs> I was lately, I was uh, lately for some development task. I was lately uh, downloading command line tools Ooh. for OS X or for Mac OS, it's called now. And this was just like a three gigabyte download. And I was thinking, command line tools with three gigabytes. Uh huh. Wow. <laughs> What's all inside? <laughs> Compare this to a C64. <laughs> amazing, amazing, yeah. Yeah, things are changing somehow. <laughs> yeah, well, um, speaking of which, we got we got an email that there is a new vintage computer festival coming up in a new region uh, oh. between these. 17th and 18th of February, and it's called Vintage Computer Festival South California. So, VCF SoCal. And yeah. Okay, this is in Southern California. And they have some plans for it. They write, we procured. 14,000 square meters of space events. Vintage computer equipment exhibited features, pristine restorations and incredible modifications. Vendor of new and original tech and an impressive assortment of accessories for just about any vintage computer model. Um, a vintage tech consignment service, auction and free table are are in the works. Wow, forty. So that means that ah. means that this vintage computer festival is actually trying to sell the vintage and the new hardware for old systems, yeah. and show them. I would just like wow, forty thousand square feet. Ah, but these are not meters, right? <laughs> yeah, I wrote I, I read it I read it wrong. I read it wrong. Yeah, fourteen thousand square feet. Yeah, this is American and I'm European. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just like, I just trying to recalculate it, but I get only weird numbers. Alexa, uh, how much is 14,000 square meters in meters? One. So, no answer. Ask yeah, Eliza. It, it, it told me the <laughs> millimeters in meters. I didn't want to know that, yeah, but I, never mind. I, I, I did some Alexa, stop. For, it goes 1,300 Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not bad. Not bad, yeah. Not bad. Yeah, well, I mean, Vintage Computer Festival is one of such festivals that is all around the world. I mean, there is a Vintage oh. Computer Festival in Munich, in Berlin, all across oh. America. Really I'm now at a different page and they say 4,200 meters. Wow, that is impressive. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so the the VCF is always a thing that I liked because it's not only American. As I said, they all also have one in Munich and Berlin, so it's really global. You know. Okay. Yeah. But of course, you know me. I'm Scene World. I think it would be awesome if they also made a, a vintage computer festival in somewhere in in Argentina or somewhere. You know, mm. where there is still a retro scene. You know. Why that's, not? That's, you know, or right. in Peru or whatever. You know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, not not only Europe and America, um, because if there's one thing we learned while doing Scene World. There are also retro people in other countries, you know, like yeah, exactly. our own graphic guy, Peru, yeah, uh, Peru guy, Victor, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, I, so. yeah it's just like also feature, especially in the indie developers, because, um, yeah. It's the internet, right? Exactly, <laughs> you can distribute exactly. it everywhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, well, well, I mean, the Vintage Computer Festival, however, is um, is a local event. It's not internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. I was just like talking about the uh, indie kind of games. What a perfect transition yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, well, I just have three more left, and so one of them is actually that um, that the composer Luc Lacrande actually made his version inspired by Nathan Niever of Turrican 2. So we will put a link to that YouTube video, and... Yeah, and also I fix it, which we also had in an interview some years ago. I fix it, you know, this um, this entity that offers tools for repairing your devices yourself. They actually made a new um, newsletter entry and blog post now that the FTC in USA, so the entity um, that regulates electronics and repairs and stuff mm -hmm. actually allows now commenting on their pages. Ooh. And, okay. <laughs> and the iFixit blog suggests that we all tell the FTC we need the right to repair. Yes. By commenting please, on their entries. Please, please, please. Yes. Obsolescence is really one of the worst things that are on this planet right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, for me, I have two. I have two hearts that beat in my chest. I have this love for retro, but also yesterday my my toaster broke after ten years uh, because it's not the locking mechanism often doesn't work, which is bad for the toaster because it's supposed to lock the toast in place. Nah. And now, now I'm having one of on order that is coming tomorrow, and that will be by my did my first digital toaster oh, that yeah. I can yeah. that I can program depending on which type of waffle 
toast, bread, bagel, or whatever I want to put into. So I'm really looking forward to that. And it actually has memory buttons, so you can set presets for your most eaten type of bread or raffles or whatever. Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, this so, and this thing costs um, around 100 euros, so it's the most expensive toaster I've ever bought. But how much? How much? Um, around uh, 113 euros. Oh, well, I mean, it's okay. It's, it's but it's um. If it's long lasting, it's fine. I mean, my toasters usually run around between eight and ten, ten years. Oh, yeah. But um, but I was like, man, I missed something in the last ten years. I didn't know we progressed so much in the area of toaster. Some yes, yeah, someone I know who uh, uh, bought bought an an oven. And it's also completely digital and just makes food by them by itself. And it's absolutely magic. It's really so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Let you me just send put, you. Up, put up the stuff, you tell the oven which the stuff you put, and then it goes. Exactly. And it's similar with this. I'm sending you a photo uh, where, yeah. you, where you can see you have two separate um, double um, sl slats for toasts, and you can program what kind of well what kind of um, uh -huh. bread or muffin or even gluten gluten free <laughs> gluten free bread so it's, uh, it's super super amazing so and uh, so toast two different things at the same time I exactly just... <laughs> exactly yes yeah 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 wow this is family compatible <laughs> i know but of course but of course first of all i will set up um because it also has memory buttons i will set up my most eaten eaten um stuff because if i want to eat something in the morning i don't want to stand there spending five minutes first to program the toast yes. yeah, toaster yeah. you know <laughs> update yet before <laughs> yeah oh there, there there was actually a toaster 2017 that has had, had had a bluetooth connection and app support but it didn't sell well people didn't want um, mm. Smartphones supported toasters. But one cool thing would be if you, for example, could burn in some pixel art into your toast. I think. Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually, actually, you can buy toasters. That can do, do this that. Also, yeah, with, yeah. also with your own images. No, 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 not with your own images, unfortunately. Well, maybe some, someone should build this product. <laughs> Perhaps. I could imagine that this would be a nice Kickstarter project. Yeah, with mm. the with a USB connector or Bluetooth. Yeah, maybe with yeah. Bluetooth or or just like with a screen where you can directly mm. 64 by 64 pixels or something. And the interesting thing is, since since the newer iPhones also have USB-C, if you make it a USB-C connector, you also don't need anything special for Apple because now the new iPhones also have USB-C. So, yeah. um, but the problem is, I also have a kitchen scale that is digital with app support. And the problem is, the manufacturer at some point rarely does updates to the app anymore. And then yeah. you bought a 70 euro kitchen scale that you can barely use because the manufacturer decided, like, oh, it's not worth anymore to put ever, ever, any developer task to it. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This so, is this is this is what I mean with the obsolescence thing, you know. If some something like this happens, then please open source the app. Or something like this, I don't know, so that people can just continue using that. <laughs> yeah. It would be so easy. Yeah. And then and then they did an update, and the update was like um was however aimed towards other kitchen scales they sell that don't have Bluetooth but use a, a QR code to scan. But the problem is, since this kitchen scale is Bluetooth driven and no QR code, I wrote them an email like, okay, nice that you updated the app and nice that I now have to register my kitchen scale again. However, there's no QR code. And they were like, ah, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, hmm. here's a QR code, and they sent me the QR code by email. Okay. I mean, I mean, how stupid is that? I mean, if you make an update to the app, make sure that that also Bluetooth is still supported and not only just uh, validating your um, your license for the app by scanning a QR code that is not in the manual of your kitchen scale. Yeah. Or, or or the other aspect, uh, which is also very interesting, if you have a uh, device that you use, I don't know, two times a year, and then before you want to use it, you need to make a mandatory update. Yeah, that's, that's actually the case. Yeah, that's actually the case. Yeah. 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 Just like, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. why, why not just use it? <laughs> But I also thought uh, the next time my, my, my washing machine dies, I mean, I still have my first washing machine. Um, it's, now, it's now 21 years old, my first washing machine, and it's still working. That's actually the wow. only machine that didn't break in my household yet. Next to my, to my, um, to my dryer, my dryer also is still oh, the same yeah. one. And I was thinking like, how often I was stuck with the problem that the door wouldn't open and the machine, because it's analog, it wouldn't tell me while the lock mechanism didn't open. And then you are there like looking in the manual. I'm like, yeah, you have to, you know, remove the water and then reset the timer. And then I'm like, oh my God. And after half an hour, it's finally you can remove your laundry because you finally managed to unlock the door so yeah. and I thought my next washing machine it will be with Bluetooth because I want to know why the why the machine doesn't let me open it, <laughs> you know? Tell me why. And the problem is with such an analog washing machine you don't know why. Yeah, there's no display it's because physics. it's analog. Yeah. It's physics. You can just look at it. <laughs> uh, it. Unfortunately, it's not. There is, I don't know, there is some programming. If certain conditions aren't met, you cannot open the door, which I understand because if there wasn't a security mechanism, you yeah. could actually Good. hurt yourself, you know, yeah. if you if you could unlock the door during operation, that could be hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. To this day, I still don't know why why in this incident it didn't open, but after doing certain troubleshooting, I suddenly um, was able to open it. But I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. 
you know. Um, and I was like, it was, it would have been so much easier if it was actually able to show me what is wrong, you know. I don't know. Tell me, like, I don't know. A sock got stuck or whatever. Whatever yeah. the reason is, tell me. So yeah. sometimes I think devices should have been smarter, but I mean, this this washing machine is from 2003, so 21 years old. Wow. I think the oldest device I have is my stereo. I bought Ooh. it when I was uh, still a teenager. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, a turntable, and they're both still working, and I still use them. That's very nice. awesome. Nice. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> That's nice. Yeah, but I was I also have my first stereo from '92. Yeah, yeah. But I was actually talking about kitchen appliance appliances. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Good. Wow. That was. And last yeah. but not least, um, ProtoVision released their December newsletter, and so they 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 are working on new hardware, new games being announced. Um, I mean, it's a whole a whole list. It's so much that Martin thought those this list was the whole news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite so, a long list. Yeah. 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 So check it out. Well, I guess the most important is Zem Journeys NES version pre-order started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the most important of of that list. And there is a new game called Space Red coming to the C64. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah, well, that would be all from me. So, yeah. thank you for the updates and the no news. Problem. So, let's let's jump to Peru and yes. talk to Herman Cruz. All right. I I practiced so much to to pronounce this name. <laughs> Good. Bye-bye. See you. Bye-bye. So, today we have another guest, and this time it's Herman from Peru, from the uh, Develop Studio Rebel Asa- uh, Rabbit. Rabbit. And yeah. today we are talking actually about, um, I would say, a retro-inspired game that is called Wild Wild Space. Yeah. Um, thank, you, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for sitting with us and for and for putting up with... Butchering intro seven times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, butchering, butchering names is our our thing, you know. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, um, it's actually interesting because when I sent you an invitation, your first reaction was like, "Are we retro enough with our yeah. game to be guests on on our show?" And my reply was like. We have topics and guests all over the place, so um, it's not real an issue. Interestingly, we have a common friend, and that is Victor. Um, yeah, Segarra. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So perhaps let's start with our common question, as with all guests. What was your starting point with computers and video games, and how did you become... A game dev. Mm. Uh, I think that my first like contact with video games was like uh, MS DOS games, you know, like console games. Yeah, um, I really got into Age of Empires too, 
and Half-Life. So uh, I, I've always been more like a PC kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I may remember that uh, I just played the games, right? Uh, but I remember that uh, my sister, my older sister, and she started the university and she had, you know, like a programming course. And she she programmed a little game in which you had to guess a number. You 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 had like ten tries to guess a number. And if you did, like you won. And if if you don't, you lose. And it, it was pretty silly, but what I found like really, really interesting, like mind blow, mind blow, blowing, yeah, mind blowing, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, it was that you could make games. I, I don't know, I don't know if, if that makes sense, but it's a realization that you know, like all game devs have, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I can make these these things, yeah. So I went and I like uh did my research on on the internet like how do you start making games i remember a, a, a piece of software like it was like a proto engine uh, game engine that it, it was called fps creator so so you had the the basic mechanics of a of a first person shooter already programmed uh, and you just you know like you you put a door here you 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 place a lever here an elevator enemies um and it was it was so so difficult for me to you know like to to get the software but i i, I managed to do it and that was you know like how i i realized that this was something that that i would like to do you know in a professional way yeah hmm. And and this is how you founded the the Dev Studio as an indie developer with a bunch of friends. I mean, this is what it looks like on the homepage, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I I knew that I I wanted to become a game dev. Uh, I wasn't sure like what um, career I should study. So I, I study software engineering. In, in order to you know be able to to develop video games and then i i got an internship uh, at a local studio here and i learned so much there and i met my you know like my business partner there yeah so we we had uh, on on the side we have we have been making we had been making uh, a little game uh, that it's called 64.0 and we had like a prototype uh, we saw future in the game and we were like okay like let's go big or go home right that so, was 2017 if i saw it correctly yeah uh, yeah uh, we quit our jobs uh 2016 and we released the, we released the game a year later yeah hmm. our first game so if you said you you quit your jobs, you really went in full full power, not as a side business at first, and see how it goes. Yeah, full starving indie dev mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Wow. So yeah, yeah, it was like um like really exciting to to be working on, on our first game, our first studio. You know, like savings were like um you know falling apart. Non existent, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we managed to 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 release the game, we managed to to re recover the, the costs and yeah, that that uh led us to continue uh developing games awesome awesome yeah you, you mentioned, you, you mentioned a, a part yeah. earlier on that 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 resonated because that was you know i used to play you know games on on the, the c64 back in the day and mm -hmm. the big realization for me was when i realized i could hit one key and break out of the program and then just list the whole thing and change change the parameters you yeah. know, and it was like, wait, like, like I can, I can do so much more with this than just play the game. You know, like, yeah, yeah I, it's I like, like, the like same a kind of thing. new whole world opens yeah. in front of you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just a question, because you mentioned business partner, is it Richard, the business development guy? Yeah, on the page. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's Richard. Wow. Nice, nice. And then you hired more people because yeah. you have so much more. Yeah, we we are seven people uh, right now. Nice, 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 nice. So, so how did it go on from there? Mm, so, we developed, we released uh, our first game. Then we. Mm, we tried developing, like, we, we tried venturing into other, you know, like um, platforms. We tried to to make a, a mobile game, but we we realized that it wasn't our thing. Um, so yeah, we we stick to the premium PC console, you know, games. Mm -hmm. uh, then we, after three hard, <laughs> three hard years. Uh, we released our second game. And it didn't sell well, but it allowed us it, it allowed us to to get like contract jobs because you know like, like the game the game was fun and the game the game looked like pretty good. Yeah. Um it wasn't like a, a commercially attractive kind of game because it was a local co-op and you know it's those games are kind uh, kind of hard to sell but um but the game did allow us to get more contracts which um help the studio grow yeah so um are you talking about dual on board dual on board yeah yeah yeah. I mean, it so, must be because the other games on your homepage say it's, it's all say coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we are like, you know, uh, developing a couple of games on the side. Our main project, our main project is Wild Wild Space. That's mm -hmm. our main focus. Um, but yeah, uh, last year we won a government grant here in Peru. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so that allow us to even like grow more than to the team and the studio. Yeah. And I'm also looking at, you know, I'm looking at the Steam thing here and I mean, you know, 
100% of the reviews for uh, 64.0 are positive, are 100% positive, or 100% of the reviews are positive, I should say. And yeah. and and dual on board, 100% of the reviews are positive. Yeah, so the the games were like uh, pretty well accepted to yeah. our community. Yeah. So that was a motivation, you know, like, like a, a a validation for us, you know, like okay, we're we are making good games. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's that's getting getting ratings like that on online and on Steam is is pretty unheard of. I think we're like Thank ninety you. to one hundred percent are are positive reviews. That's that's. Yeah, I mean, I mean. I mean, you have some games, you know, we all know those games that caused um, a wild shitstorm for being not ready, but released and stuff. And then publishers are like, okay, let's try to get it at least mixed and not <laughs> just a very negative right. or mostly negative. So, yeah. and and then, then I would say a product is probably almost already burnt because... Who would buy games that has like a mixed rating? You know, then then you would think twice about um, about buying it. And especially, we have to take into account that you are in Peru, so in this region of the world, prices are a bit different. I mean, that is why on on Steam, especially, you have regional pricing yeah. for some games. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, depending on the income of the region of the games, which is unfortunately how all those gray market keys are getting resold because people work around region locks and then yeah. <laughs> gain a key f um, sold for a different market and then resale it on a on a higher margin, um, which is also something that probably pains you a lot as a developer right um yeah uh, we've especially with our first game that that was like a, a phenomenon that we actually see saw a lot yeah uh the key reselling um but the thing is that um, how, how can i say it? how can i say this you know, I, I, what I feel, and this is my personal opinion, like uh, the Latin American uh, industry is developing, is like growing, but it's not quite in the, you know, like in the state of European or North American games industry. Um, so networking, it's it's hard, you know, it's hard for us to, to go to events like GDC right. or Gamescom. Um, but uh, having the possibility to to sell our games in dollars, it's you know like uh, a positive thing for us because our you know like um, I don't know how what is the expression the cost of living here is 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 considerably smaller to to other countries. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's one thing, one good thing going for us. I mean, it makes right. sense. I've, I've, I've heard that um, 
if you are making $500 in Peru, you are considered one of the rich people for monthly income, net income. And that is, that is how much I pay for my, for my living rent. So, I mean, I, I would, I would, I would starve if I had this income available here in Germany. So um, I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, also good. Also, the point you make um, that it's harder to to go to events like Gamescom. Interestingly, Victor, who comes to Gamescom because mm -hmm. we run our disc mag on a booth in the retro area, um, he said that when he goes to um, game champs in, in Peru, Lima, for example, yeah. and he asks people like you, like uh, Peruvian game devs, like, would you like to come to, uh, to Germany, to Gamescom, which is coincidentally the largest um, games fair in the world. Um, and then, then he said the reactions are like, why should I, why should I go to Gamescom? What is the gain for me as a Peruvian developer? So he said he's surprised by the lack of interest by the Peruvian people. That's as mm. actually what he said to me. Yeah, I, I think that, um, and this is like a, a theory that, that that I can, you know, like imagine uh, of what is happening is that uh, a lot of, a lot of, um, participants of, of the local game jams are, you know, like people that are, you know, trying to enter the industry, you know, um, so um, it's, it's been a, a, quite a lot of time since I've part participated in a game jam. Uh, and I know that a lot of like veteran uh, fellow developers don't attend game jams anymore um so yeah so i guess that uh it's hard to you know like to take advantage of of the you know like for, for example uh a couple of months ago i went to um to a video game exposition in argentina where a, a lot of publishers went and I took advantage of that opportunity because I had a game like, you know, like in, in development, you know, I had a studio. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess that uh, people in game jams are just trying to um, enter the industry and are not, you know, like ready to have something to show. I guess the networking could be, could be, you know, like valuable, but traveling abroad it's really expensive like for us yeah yeah so oh yeah i i know that i spend a while to get a job that could make me afford the plane ticket to peru i i think to this date it was the most expensive plane ticket i ever paid in my <laughs> life it was almost a thousand euros to to go from germany uh, to 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 uh, lima I was like oh my god um yeah i guess that's just that's just the problem um but but i also see that um in the game industry especially in the fellow uh, gamership there is um, a different level of expectation i mean 
just recently Tyron released the new Robocop Rogue City game, right? Mm -hmm. And guess who is complaining that a, that a double A studio doesn't have the money for localization in other languages? <laughs> it's always either a German or an Austrian gamer complaining, why didn't you invest the money in translating Robocop into German? <laughs> and then, of course, the first reply is by somebody from another country saying, learn English. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've, never, I've never seen such posts by people in Latin America, like Peru, Argentina or something, where people complain about the lack of, well, financial possibility or interest in translating their games into Zillion languages. I, I think so it, it should be should be easier for um, for your region. I mean, you just make a simple game and people don't expect as much. More so people are positively surprised how good your games are despite you are just an indie developer, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that it also makes sense, you know, like in, in the case of, of Spanish, you know, when you localized uh, your game to Spanish, you are targeting a lot of countries, you know, mm -hmm. like a whole continent. Uh, maybe, maybe like um, translating to German um, results into a like a, a more reduced, you know, like population. Uh, that, yeah, that would be a guess. Could be. Yeah. Could be. I mean, I mean, how many how many German language regions do we have in the in the um, in the in the world? I mean, German part Germany. of Switzerland, Germany, Austria, German some part France. of Italy, some France. Yeah, some France, some um, German part of well, Italy, as I just said, and. Um, but you also I got mean, French parts of Germany, so it evens out. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, anyway, yeah, you're right there. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, we, we are in the we are in 2023, almost 2024. You would expect that people are nowadays educated enough to handle it, right? I mean, I mean, I'm think? not watching. I'm not watching my series and my movies on Netflix in German anymore. So. <laughs> You know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I agree with that. Yeah, I play my games on on English in English. Yeah, you see, yeah, it's it's also also the problem that you always have is, um, the, some things don't translate well. I I remember when um, Unusual Findings was released last year, um, and a retro point and click adventure done by um, by an Argentinian developing studio and they released the game only in English and Russian. Russian because their publisher was from Russia and of course now they moved to Cyprus because you know and 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 the, the game was to my surprise badly translated. It had issues like in the adventure game that Sometimes 
doors are not just closed, but also locked. Mm. But they didn't translate it correctly or whatever. I mean, I, I, you really can't say translate because it was not released in, in Spanish. But I guess the people who worked on the game, on the dialogue and stuff, probably were Argentinians. And then you have the problem that you you can't you can't open a door because you are missing the key. But it's not obvious that the <laughs> door is not just closed but also locked. You know. Yeah. And and I think if you translate games into different languages, you also have such logical problems, language barriers, mistranslations. Yeah. And all those complicated side effects that suddenly you have to take care of. And and they never they never fixed it, by the way. They just oh. collected the Kickstarter money, released the game, and then abandoned it and never released any updates. Oh, what a shame. Really? You know? Uh, so yeah. then But the question hard. is like, yeah. Then the question is like, of course, some people say it's because of the economic troubles Argentina has currently. I don't know. You may have to to yeah. do something with that. Yeah, but yeah, but, but, but to keep a hard. game in a broken state is would it would hurt? It would be heartbreaking for me to know that your game has such um, such um, severe errors. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, one can one can only guess, no, what what happened. Um, but yeah, localizing localizing the game is is pretty hard. Actually, yeah. Um, for our first game, actually, we we received help from the players. Uh, like, uh, we didn't have, you know, like Hungarian, mm -hmm. and we received we received. Um, I remember this. We received we received an email uh, that said like, uh, I I noticed your game isn't in Hungarian, so here is you know like the translated version of of your text in Hungarian. So they, they gave us like the a, a total, you know, like a translation of the game for free because they liked the game. And of course, we 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 ended up adding the game, you know, like uh, giving them credit for that. Um, so localizing the game along with the community is something that Uh, it has worked for us, and you know, like it's um, it feels nice to to work alongside your community. You know, like it makes them feel because they are part of you know, like the development right. of your game. So, yeah, which is interesting because on the other hand, you didn't you didn't make your games on Steam early access. Which is what a lot of indie studios do, and sometimes games are in early access for seven years. Yeah, <laughs> and they feel yeah. like they never get finished or whatever. Yeah, I, I think that for my from my point of view, like you, you gotta like question yourself: Why are you going to early access? You know, like are you just trying to to sell the game earlier so you can have Like money, um, I don't think that's like a good reason to do it. Um, 
but uh, I don't know, may maybe it works for, for, for other people. You know? uh, in our case, uh, actually we are planning to, to release the game on early access or release Wild Wild Space, our current game. But for the first two titles, we, we didn't need the field to, to do so. So yeah. Interesting. Can you can you share more about your thought process behind it to make it different now compared to your first two games? If it's not a secret, of course. No, 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 it's not it's not at all. Um so mm, I view our, our projects, you know, like um, our development process, like in, I divided in, I don't know, like three main like stages. So the first one, uh, we just want to, to build the game, uh, not in secret, but, you know, like um, in a, a controlled environment, you know, right. and, and then, during this first step, step uh, we want to, mm, you know, like we are actually starting like a private alpha kind of thing, like program. So a few number, a, a very reduced number of people can get access to to the to the game, you know, and we start building the community from there. So we can, um, you know, like. How can I say? We can get more comfortable, com comfortable around mm -hmm. uh, developing the game alongside the community. You know, like setting up uh, our weekly builds, or maybe if we want to do uh, like a questions and answers, a Q and A session every Friday. You know, it's easier to to handle those things when you have you know like a reduced community. Right. Right. Uh, and once we have, we feel more comfortable doing those kind of things, and then we we would you know like uh, go to the step two. You know, like uh, trying to reach uh, a bigger audience, and with that, you know, early access. Yeah. Hmm. And then, of course, you know, release. Awesome. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I always felt like a game should be a good game because of um, the game itself, the concept, and so on. Uh, perhaps let's let's talk a bit about the concept. I mean, you sent me you sent me a Steam key on uh, Wild Wild Space, and I was actually um, very pleased with the way the gameplay works and the mechanics. It's it really seems to be a mixture of um, ideas and concepts that have been there before, but uh, totally, well, uh, shuffled in a new way, you know? Yeah. So, so what was your thought process behind that? Um, so we, at first, uh, um, how can I say this? In, in our first three games, the point of, you know, like of a start of, of all, our, all of our games are, you know, like mechanics. So we had this mechanic of going around the planet in mind. Um, at first, it, it was going to be another local uh, cop, but but after Dual on Board, like we we 
we like uh, went the opposite way. Um, so, but we had this mechanic that really felt interesting for us. Uh, we kept on exploring, like pivoting, maybe some some ideas. Um, yeah, the game has finally reached uh, a mechanical state in which we are very very confident. Um, the game is still the game is still missing, you know, like the um, how um, the macro layers. The game is still doesn't have progression because it's a it's a roguelite. The game doesn't right. have progression. It doesn't have a story, you know. But we we wanted to make sure that we have the the core the gameplay core like um right you know on point, and we feel confident that we are there. So we are now going to start building you know like all these layers progression. So yeah. Which is interesting because um, I also contributed to that in the forums of the game on Steam. <laughs> there was a discussion about how, how the game is controlled. And I mean, I, I have my trusty uh, Xbox 360 <laughs> controller um, from 2008. It's still alive. And um, there was a discussion about why did you separate the controlling um, by the two thumbsticks and not put all the directional steering on one thumbstick. And actually, mm -hmm. I have to admit, it feels quite natural once you um, get used to the fact that you have to, well, control the steering by both hands. But at first, at first you are a bit confused because yeah. muscle memory is like, you can go all eight directions with one thumb, and now you can't. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, controls uh, are not, you know, written in stone. They can always change. But from our experimentation, I mean, yeah, it it feels natural on paper that all the movement uh, should be controlled with one stick. You know, like the vast majority of games. But in this case, um, we found that it doesn't work too well because the horizontal movement is, you know, like uh, an analog movement that can go like you can. Um, I don't know. It's like a, a continue continuing move, movement, right? But uh, your vertical movement is more like uh, just. Single, single presses, right? So mm -hmm. the thing is that the game is very fast-paced. So sometimes, uh, when you are just you just want to move horizontally, you end up, you know, changing your vertical movement, and uh, that felt, you know, that that felt bad, that felt wrong, um, because. Vertical movement is very important in this game. Sometimes you change your lane and maybe you receive uh, a hit when you shouldn't have, you know? So, so yeah, separating this, the separating the horizontal movement with the vertical movement gave more control 
and prevented this, you know, like failed imports. Uh, unwanted, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, isn't it a bit? Let's let's compare it. Isn't it a bit like when you are in a settings menu of a game, and to change the volume, you go left and right. And to 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 go through the list of settings, you go up and down, and the um, the thumbsticks are too sensitive. So sometimes when you go up and down, you end up making a little faint on the right or left, and suddenly you change volumes. That is why I'm always using the D-pad, yeah. which is <laughs> digital, so I don't accidentally change some settings in a game. You know? Yeah, yeah. Isn't no, it a bit like that? Yeah, yeah, and imagine you know like that, but you know like with um, eight enemies shooting at you, you know. True. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's. Yeah, you would bite the bullet pretty fast and then get frustrated <laughs> and yeah. throw the controller against the wall, and then you have to buy a new controller and stuff. That can be an expensive <laughs> mistake. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it feels wrong because from the player perspective, it wasn't your fault, right? Like you wanted to do something, True. but the game reacted in a way that you didn't expect, in a right. way that wasn't transparent uh, for, for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Good thinking, good thinking, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, so, so yeah, our theory is that people Although people are going to find it a little bit, you know, like weird at the beginning of the game, um, it shouldn't take too long to get used to to this control scheme. Yeah. No, it took me like five minutes, ten minutes, and then I was like, okay, you know. Um, there was another game who did that. that I totally forgot its name, but it's it's actually also on my arcade machine where you also have the same the arcade kind of machine that we never see we never see, we never see used <laughs> because yeah, I, never, I, I, never, I, never, I was never. I was actually going to to ask you about what what ask me what about it at the arcade machine what do you want to know uh, does it, it still work yeah of course it works <laughs> I mean I mean I mean Maybe it was it's like just a problem. <laughs> I know it was like either having either having an, an a sofa or an arcade machine, and I decided for the arcade see, machine. See, I turn this stuff on so people know that it works, but he just keeps, keeps that thing off. Yeah, I keep the thing off. Yes, yeah. I only I only put it on when I have to. But um, but I actually want to play with it. Yeah, yeah. It's a basically um, an universally jammer machine, so you can uh, you can put in any PCB. Of any arcade machine uh, game you want, uh, I mean the JAMA adapter was introduced in um, '85, so any game older than '85 needs adapter, like Pac-Man, for example, or Shoplifter. But any game after '85 simply connects to it, so it's um, pretty universal. So it's a real arcade cabinet. No PC inside or anything <laughs> to not not an emulator or whatever. Emulator. No, it really yeah. requires the original PCB to put Ooh. into. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's awesome. So I go all the way expensive and have to pay three hundred and more <laughs> for my games. And then never uh, use them. 
No, of course, of course, I use it. Of course, I use it. Yeah. <laughs> next so, time, uh, next time we do a podcast, just have turn it on and just have it playing something in the background, just just quietly, just so we, <laughs> just so we can yeah. see. It. Because you know, I mean, I, I work, I work hard on getting these props actually, behind me. <laughs> that's actually not possible in all games because it doesn't have a volume control. Okay. That's the thing with arcade machines, you know, uh, when when I, for example, when I connect Tekken to it or something and I start up the machine, it says good morning because it's 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 supposed to you turn it on in the morning, leave it running and then shut it off in the evening. Oh, some, some PCPs have volume volume knobs, so you yeah. can turn the volume down, use those. But, many, but many don't actually. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big issue. It's not supposed to run in the background being silent. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Just saying. It's been, <laughs> it's been how many years that we've been doing this, and I've never once seen that thing on. Yeah. But I, don't of know. Course I don't know if I believe you that it works. Oh, <laughs> it's really um, The hard part was finding people to, to get it working. That's the thing, because... In contrast to America and Peru and other countries, we don't have arcades anymore where you can just go into and play something. You don't really have many arcades here either. With me, you have in 2009. There were, there were a couple left, but they yeah. since vanished. They, I believe. Yeah, they're not common yeah, anymore, <clears throat> unfortunately. Wonderful. Thanks for sitting with us. Looking forward to see the game finally released.